And good evening. Welcome to the Old School podcast about educational, uh, the education system, the educational issues surrounding that system, idiosyncrasies. Uh, my name is Ross Miller, and I'm here with Dr. Stephen Bourgeois, both of us uh, equipped with a massive intellect and an adult beverage. And so, uh, how you doing here, Dr. Bourgeois? I'm, I'm not going to admit to the adult beverage, first of all. Um, <laughs> you're leading me astray. I'm, I'm fine. I like I like Sunday nights. Um, it's it's, it's uh, probably the most relaxed evening of the week, I think. Well, I have a problem, though. So my problem is, and I, and I was reluctant to make this a big of an issue because it centered on my, uh, my lovely bride. And given that today is Mother's Day, I was reluctant to kind of get too deep into the weeds. But she told me that there is a discernible difference in the taste between green bell peppers and the other colored bell peppers. You're talking about red and yellow. Yes. They all taste the same. Do you do you detect a difference? Um, I, I detect a difference in my reaction to them. If I eat a, <laughs> a green one, I have a, a reaction. The other two, I don't. Well, you talking about like uh, allergic? No, um, it's beyond the scope of our <laughs> podcast. Uh, that reaction, um, but I, I don't know. I, I think that the green tastes a little bit um, more acidic. Hmm. I could be totally wrong. What do I know? You could be. Yes. What do you know? I, I, I was I was thinking that because you you are one who is fond of Totino's pizza. Totino's, which isn't yeah, which isn't bad when you're like 18. You're <laughs> like, what are you like 73 now, and you still favor Totino's pizza? I'm not 73, but I, I love Totino's. I don't know why we're even talking about this. <laughs> I just had this. This thing was. This thing is on my mind. The red pepper. Um, it's the pepper thing. It's best if you have one of each um, type, you know, and then mix it with some onions and you, and then you're, you're set. All right. Fine. What are we talking about today here, Dr. Bourgeois? Um, well, we're not talking about peppers or onions or any of that. The effects uh, therein. No. It, it seems like you had a topic a few minutes ago, and I totally forgot it. So that's how, that's how enlightening it is. Um, you tell me. Well, you and I came together the first time uh, as part of a charter school experience, a charter school that uh, centered on project-based learning. And we have talked before about the differences, the different models, the different things out there that could be used for students to get more out of their educational experience. And I'm curious as to what did you know about project-based learning prior to that uh, stint that we had at that school? And then what do you think of it now? Well, um, at that point, I wasn't reading a lot about educational theory, educational history. I did come across John Dewey, and I think he wrote something called the, the Project Method or something like that. Right. Um, I had nothing against it, um, you know, before I, I started it. I mean, there are definitely some limitations to it, and I know we'll get into that. Um, but I always thought of a project as something that you did um, to amplify a lesson, you know, something you did after you've learned the material, but not, so it's intriguing, you know, say, well, the project is the curriculum. It's not something you put on top of it or do after. Mm -hmm. um, so in, in theory, 
I, I like the idea because it's a different approach, um, different approach to the model where the, the teacher lectures and gives information, the students take notes and take tests. And so, so it did, it did appeal me, appeal to me in, in, a, in a lot of ways. It, it seemed kind of, kind of interesting. And you do see it in other areas, you know, the notion of, you know, and these, and, and, and to some degree, this is older thinking, you know, but the idea that you teach a person to swim by throwing them in the water, you know, where there's no, there's no preset to, okay, we're going to put you in the water. This is what we want you to do, but rather you learn by doing, or, you know, fixing a car, you know, if, if you're going to learn how to change out an alternator or whatever the case may be, the best way of learning how to do it is simply do it. So it's not like that, that idea of project-based instruction was novel, um, but it is not something that is widespread. After your experience at the school, what was, what were you kind of left with? You know, just in talking about the idea of advantages and disadvantages of it. Um, and I, and I, I'd, I'd like to, you know, I, I'll follow up by some of my observations, but I'm kind of curious as to, what you walked away from that experience with? It seemed like there were there were some areas, some disciplines that totally lent themselves to projects. Um, I'm thinking of things that have labs, you know, like, like science, for example. Uh, obviously, engineering and things like that. Um, but it, I, I felt like it, it, it could be imposed on other subjects, and it, and it felt awkward. It felt like um, it was all about the the structure and the process not not necessarily about the learning mm. and um, we both um, have pretty strong opinions on rubrics um, when you mm. take a the idea of a project and you add a pretty strict grading system that's numeric and and you you have these categories of grades it's you um, something happens to the project itself where every student in the class, present something that, that's relatively the same and, and and that that's what i saw for for four or five years is, is um, projects that weren't as individualized as you know i would have liked to see and also a lot of forcing um, the methodology on subjects that didn't necessarily fit so prior to um our shared experience i i, I didn't know a lot about it and i was not like you, I had not done a lot of deep dives into uh, education prior to my entryway into the field. I did, and I, I kind of came into it like, well, this is what it's supposed to be. And so I kind of just rolled with it. And it was not until I got to that point in my career where I started thinking, is this the best way? Is there other, are there other ways that we could possibly do this? And looking back on it in retrospect, you know, I have to have the concurring attitude that perhaps there are some subjects that are better suited for this model compared to others. But I'm wondering if it's just because you and I were trained in a certain way within our disciplines, and that is the only methodology that we have seen used um, as far as our subject matter goes. And perhaps there is a way of doing it and we just didn't understand it or we just didn't know it. You know, I, th I think, this and this is going to be the first of a couple of things we're going to talk about with regards to project-based learning. But I'm wondering how much of it is that it's an ill-fitted part, or 
it's just something that was so new that we just couldn't wrap our head around it. Well, I think we, you know, we came to it relatively late in our careers. And, mm. and so we had, we had already solidified a methodology and I went through several, you know, teaching German mm-hmm. and eventually I had something that, that worked and I did a lot of things that didn't work over the years. Um, but, but that was already set. And I think in your case, you, you also had a system for, for teaching history um, that, that was tried and true. Um, so coming up with the idea of applying um, something like that, um, there's something that, that you, you can tell if something's working. When you mention to, to the students, okay, we're going to do a project and just mm. listen. You know, is, is it excitement? Is it a sigh? You know, I heard a lot of sighs, and I think the longer students are doing that because uh, they realize, okay, before we get too far into this conversation, we're going to be talking about a rubric, we're going to be talking about grading, grading, grading. Mm. And, and so in, in a way, the, the project idea is, is, is pretty good, um, but the, how do you assess it? You know, that, that seems to be where, where, it, where it falls short. We've talked about rubrics before, and you brought up, you know, the fact that we both have issues with them, primarily because they are restrictive in nature. They are restrictive, not just of the educational process, but the exploration of whatever idea you profess to want to measure. And so what you end up getting is you get kind of a standardization, kind of like a McDonald's assembly line of hamburgers. You know, if uh, you'll pardon the rather um, lack of Epicurean uh, references there, but um, but the idea is that you're, what you're getting is you're getting you're getting a kind of a cookie cutter model, and you're not getting ingenuity, you're not getting creativity, you're not getting exploration, you're getting a formulaic, almost bureaucratic following of a set of guidelines. Well, in in, in some ways, the the act of the project felt uh, unnatural. Um, there was a tendency for them to be groups and miraculously almost every group had four people. You know, right. so there, there are these, these, and then uh, assign each group member a role or something like that. The, the worry would be that the benefit of the method would be to maybe one or two people in a group because they do most of the work. Mm. Um, but I, I don't think it was equitable as far as the effort uh, from student to student. And they tended to play that to their strengths. So if somebody was good at technology, they would be making videos, but you know, not learning history, for example. Right. Um, so there, there were some holes. I definitely think there were, there were some holes. Uh, but I, I, I will say that the, the general idea of it, of applying something, you know, I, I, I really do support. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it comes down to execution, and and you know, I, I will say that the the better projects took a lot of preparation and it, it's, it's very different than traditional teaching because there's a lot more work on the front end. Um, and then the assessment is kind of, you stand and watch kids stand up and give a PowerPoint presentation. And so the work is on the front end and, and I don't know if it is the most efficient way um, to use that time because that time is precious. So there's one element of this and that is the idea of how do you assess a project? as a potential flaw in the in the system but you've referred to now a couple times to an additional flaw and that is the student now in a traditional high school setting you have a group project of four people you've got the kid who's going to work 
you have who is a kind of a de facto leader. You'll have the kid who will mainly do what the de facto leader says. You'll have the goofball who provides comic relief throughout the entire process. And then you have the kid who's not really terribly interested in any of this. He's just hoping he can ride the coattails of the other three and get himself a decent grade, whereas otherwise he, he wouldn't or she wouldn't. And so that's how it tends to break down. And you, you mentioned this to a classroom of high schoolers right now, and they'll say, oh, yeah, there you go, because they know how this works. They know they know how the system operates. And so do you think that it is not also a case that a system like this can work, but it requires it, it, it requires a very selective process of the kind of student that you want as a part of the system? Or is it something that could potentially apply across the board? It's really difficult to answer, um, you know, particularly in public school where you don't get to choose your, your clientele. Right. right. Uh, but I, I have an example actually at the doctoral level. Um, sure. When I was um, every once in a while, you know, there, there's, there's a standard uh, way that a doctoral course works. It's a, uh, it's a seminar, but the, the professor pre presents the material, but then for the most part, individual students will present and, and they'll do their presentation and they'll have discussion. Um, that's how it's done. That's how it's always been done. Uh, but once in a while, the idea comes to a professor, let's have a group project and a group paper. And, and so the dynamic is very similar to that high school that we talked about. Mm -hmm. And you can imagine I was in that situation, you know, and I eventually became a, an editor, a, a writer, and so forth. I ended up, you know, writing most of that paper, but trying to make it look like there was collaboration when the collaboration wasn't really working and lots of personal things happened. It was, it was challenging. And maybe the professor had that in mind. You learn to work with difficult people, but I don't think so. Mm -hmm. um, so still, you know, one person, maybe two end up doing all the work. Um, you know, I, I, I always dreaded it, you know, so I, when I'd walk into a new class, I'd look at the syllabus and say, Oh, good. There, there's no group work, you know, so mm -hmm. group work and projects kind of go, hand in hand. Um, and it's unfortunate, but it's, I think it's difficult to conceive of a individual project because the presentation of the results would take so much time instead of mm -hmm. listening to, you know, 10 presentations, you listen to 30. So it's, it's not as, um, efficient, um, for the presentation side also. And the presentation side is the other side of the equation where students can, or perhaps the wrong kind of student could cause issues, you know, because, you know, the, the problem that we had and the problem that I have had over the course of my career is a group's proclivities towards trying to be funny. And so this lack of seriousness as to what they're doing uh, seems to be on its face for some folks, some students to be antithetical to how they want to approach things. You know, they want to approach things funny. They want to approach things sarcastically. They want to approach things uh, sardonically. You know, and the problem is, is that that attitude presupposes already a knowledge of everything associated with this. And, they've, and, and they, they have felt it's necessary to be sarcastic about it. So 
do you not see this as a as a kind of an additional problem? You know, beyond the fact that you have four kids standing up in front of a PowerPoint, basically reading it verbatim, which is not interesting to anyone for any reason. Um, I've seen quite a few of those where they're standing in an awkward line and they they walk up um, one after the other. Uh, tell me what your question was again. Something you said there, I, I want to respond to, and I've forgotten. Just the idea about and you know, how do you how do you address the fact that there is this tendency by students to treat this as a venue or a vehicle to be funny, to be sarcastic, to be uh, to kind of approach the subject as if in and of itself is not important. Yeah, I, I think that. Um, there's a tendency of high school students, <clears throat> no matter what, to try to minimize the expectations. And so they don't want this to be a, a, a serious procedure where, where they're all working hard and pressing to, to learn and overcome challenges. So they, they, that attitude minimizes it, not necessarily with the assignment from the teacher, but what their expectations are in that group. Mm. And so it comes down and it becomes less stressful. So they're fighting couple things they're fighting stress and also embarrassment and mm-hmm. so that's a i mean you were like that as a kid right sure, sure. You, you were a comedian probably a really good one yeah but that thing is very <laughs> uh but i could see that dynamic and, and way back when i was in, in high school i would have been the one who just w- would kind of put my head down and try not to be embarrassed you know I, right. i'd work if i was asked to work but i, I definitely wouldn't lead anything was it, yeah, what's the, the John Cleese joke that the average Englishman goes through their life just hoping and praying not to be embarrassed or humiliated? You know, it's, <laughs> that's a project. That's a, that's when you go into a project um, as well. But the, but the other thing about it is, is that um, you you mentioned something about the idea of lowering the expectation and doing so in such a way. You know, I I tried to broach this subject with the students. I said, listen. Before we do this project, and it, it, would, it would be the only one we do the entire year, but it seemed like the quickest way to get through something that um, that I wanted to hit, but I didn't want to spend a lot of time with. And so I kind of devised this other uh, means. But you tell students, that, listen, you guys are experts on bad lesson plans. You are experts on bad presentations of lessons. You've seen the best and you've seen the worst. You know what it looks like. So when you get together with your group and you're sitting here trying to devise a way of presenting this information to the rest of the class, keep that in mind. Be interesting. You know, be engaging. Find a way to try to rope your kid, your student, your fellow students into this. And when you do that, the problem is you are placing that pressure on them to take it seriously, to work hard. And to be able to present information to a degree that they can like field questions, they can they can right. uh, entertain theories or uh, speculations from the class or what have you, and they're just not equipped for that. And and it's something where it's either you either have to say we're never going to do a project again, or we have to do more because kids need to be able to figure out how to operate under these kind of conditions. There's a, a saying, it wasn't our organization, but another project-based charter school that had this, what I thought was a, a terrible slogan. And it was, it's not what you know, it's not what you know, it's what you can show. 
show. Uh, you know, which you know, kind of goes, it's a reversal of what, what we would want. Um, but it's all about the presentation of you know embedding technology and having it look good and everybody dresses up you know where where where's a suit which really looks weird in high school these kids walking around in a suit and, right. oh you're doing a presentation yeah yeah uh, and uh, so I the, see well the bad part about that yeah. is you see it well you saw it in 1960 1960 for those of you who don't know or weren't alive I wasn't but I do remember I'm a history teacher. But in 1960, they had the very first televised presidential debate. And prior to that, I think there had been conversations, but it was done simply on radio. But this is going to be the first time they're going to televise it. And you have Senator Kennedy from Massachusetts, who's looking dapper, tanned. Um, he's got a modicum of makeup applied to sit underneath those very hot, very oppressive television lights. Then you have Richard Nixon, congressman from California, former vice president of the United States under Dwight D. Eisenhower. He does not have that experience under, under uh, the, the lens of public um, attention. He did not grow up famous and rich. He grew up uh, the child of migrant farm workers. And he had no experience. Even as vice president, no one really paid attention to him. He wasn't sitting down for interviews on a regular basis. He was just a guy filling that role. And the famous and a lot of speech classes talk about this. The people who saw the debate felt Kennedy had won. But people who had heard the debate felt that Nixon won. What does that mean? Well, it could mean a couple of things. It could mean that Kennedy was better for show than for no. You know, the idea that, you know, he looked better than he possessed information and knowledge about the job. And Nixon was the other other extreme, you know? And so this kind of idea of this emphasis on these rather soft skills, when you talk about with 21st century skills, how do you present, how do you, you know, you know interact with people or what have you, all this is a de-emphasizing on what you know and how you can apply what you know. And I wonder if there is some correlation there. Exactly. Not to get into politics, but no, no, it, it, it's really disturbing because we, we've spent several episodes talking about what testing, what assessment does to instruction and how it narrows the curriculum and, and does some really bad things, you know, to what could be a really good teacher because eventually the students want to know what's on the test. So you start teaching that. But the same thing I think applies to presentation. You know, you're learning material only as much as you need to make that presentation and then you're done and, and maybe there'll be a traditional test on top of it and the pure form of um, project-based learning the project is the assessment mm. everything it's all a part of it um, but it, that's another force to i wouldn't say dumb down the curriculum but but narrow it in a way that you know in, in the more you know the pristine sense of, of teaching we would we would want not necessarily take it there to how you mm. present it we want a student to be able to articulate it, but not standing up in a line, you know, doing their PowerPoint slides, like you said, because that's that's not showing any knowledge. And it goes to, was it, um, I think we talked about this before. I hope not, because it's only episode 13. If we're starting to repeat ourselves, it's a bad sign. But uh, 
But um, was it Heidegger that said, what is easier to teach or to learn? You know, it, it, right. the more stuff gets put into the system, the more stuff that comes into the classroom, the less the kid is actually going to know or to learn about what it is you want them to learn. And so, and here's an example of it. You talk about the kid that knows how to do videos. You know, what is he actually doing as a member of that group? Does he know as much as everyone else does? Possibly, but it could be at an equally low level. Oh, there, yeah, I was tempted to question students. I know you've done that mm. where you, your, your culminating uh, presentation also includes taking questions from a really challenging teacher. Mm. And, um, you know, I'm, I don't see that a lot. And I've, you know, I've, I've observed a lot of presentations and that was part of what I did. And, and the, the question and answer was kind of superficial, perfunctory, nothing um, that would challenge anybody. And, and the whole purpose of that presentation and the Q&A was to avoid embarrassment in public. Yeah. And we, we've read uh, accounts, you know, the idea that teachers in the United States are more inclined to bail their kids out of a potentially embarrassing situation rather than to place them in one. And, you know, I have, you know, I, I have a sense that I don't, I don't want the kid to be um, humiliated, but at the same time, God almighty, if you're going to stand up in front of a classroom of people and I try to tell them beforehand, you know, when I was doing projects, I try to tell them beforehand. So listen, I'm going to question you. And I'm not going to question you as if you've had three years to work on this, but I'm, but I'm going to question you. You should have some answers or you should have some ideas. And inevitably, it never happened. Because they worked at such a shallow level because you had the rubric, which I was supposed to have. I tried to make it innocuous. I tried to make it vague. But you had to have a, you had to have a rubric and you had to have... Um, you know, you had to have these guidelines and you just walked away thinking these kids got nothing out of this project. Um, looking at, at, a, at a rubric to follow up on what you're saying, uh, often there is something about the, the presentation itself, mm -hmm. um, how the presenters look, mm -hmm. how they handle themselves. Are they confident? Um, it, it, are they chewing gum or something? So yeah. it might make it into the rubric or they... <laughs> eating nachos out loud so they're disturbing people uh who but it, i mean it, who knows it's easy, yeah it's easy to make fun of it um but think about work you know i mean there there are there is the idea that a project that's how work works right right you know you're on a you're there are projects that are real they're they're not you can't diminish their uh importance because it's not a grade it's real life Right. Um, and so there, to take the other side a little bit, you know, that um, employees need to know how to work with each other to, mm. to show leadership, to defer, to um, present something in a, in a good way. So all this does apply, um, but at what cost? And I think that's, you know, kind of underlying what we're talking about. And, and the cost is the depth of the knowledge, uh, even though these are really great skills. Um, to learn. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but that, that can't be the thing. It can't be the thing, but also if you had a stricter process, those skills still come into play. If this thing is treated more seriously, if this thing is treated more 
uh, of it with an educational paradigm rather than a show paradigm, you still have to be able to work with one another. You still have to be able to collaborate. Those things don't go away simply by ratcheting up what it is that you want the student to be able to produce at the end of the project. They still have to be able to show that. The question is, is the show really that important? You know, now, unfortunately, you know, we have it. We have the show. You know, you and I are both sports fans. We know what fake hustle is. You know, the person who who's running around looking like they're doing something. And then you get the person who's running around and actually doing something, you know, and so, and it, it kind of makes me, you know, it, it, it kind of reminds me of that, you know, the idea of, you know, you, you know, you drive for show, you putt for dough kind of a thing that there's an element there of show, but ultimately that's not what's important. Ultimately what's important is what can you achieve in, you know, in the sporting arena, but in the classroom, what do you know is, should be the most important part of any kind of assessment. Well, um, we've been kind of bashing project based learning. Um, I do have what I think is an example of a project that I did that, that, that I think worked. And okay. I, um, I taught a course in applied music and applied music meant pretty much do whatever Herr Dr. Burgess wants to do. Sure. I am a musician and, and I am a pianist. Uh, the music you hear on the show is mine. I think I've never said that here. Um, but I, I think for much of my teaching career, you know, the, the teaching job was my day job, but I was really a musician who needed to support himself through teaching. Um, but uh, the course was really open. And, and so we happened to have a very good setup where, where we had rooms, practice rooms, where I could put students in groups. And the structure of the class included listening. So they would listen and comment. So discussion of, of music, my stuff that I would present or that they would present. Uh, but the main project was um, simply a, a group um, performance with a deadline. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes it meant uh, composition. Sometimes it meant um, doing a cover song, something from, you know, maybe do, do a Beatles song. And, and so these were musicians of different levels, but, but there, were always some, there was always somebody who could play keyboard, somebody who could play the guitar, somebody who could sing. So setting the groups is really important. And so it's kind of doing real project-based learning now. What are your right. areas? And I let the, the students pick the groups. And they didn't just pick their friends. They, they, I told them, you need to be kind to everybody and find out who can cover these parts. Right. So they would do that. And I would say, now you have three days to perform or to prepare, and then you're going to per perform for the group. And, and so they, they would get in their rooms and work. Mm. I would walk around and if they were working and doing what they needed to and, and engage, I'd just keep walking. I never interrupt them. Um, but you walk in and the, it's kind, and of the Montessori, it's kind of the Montessori idea. You never interrupt a kid learning. That's right. That's right. Um, and so they, but they, they had a time limit and they, they, it was real, you know, the, the collaboration was real because they had something that they had to do publicly. Um, they did evaluate each other, but it was really just a small part. I, I really never talked about grades mm. at all. You know, at the end, you know, they ended up getting a very high grade and mm. if they met the requirements, but that was a project that the students um, not just enjoy, but they actually followed through because they had a deadline and they needed each other to mm. get it done. And what we said at the very beginning is that some areas lend themselves beautifully to that. Right. Um, 
but probably not history, probably not German, probably not English to some extent, because right. these are you're reading reading subjects um, and projects don't fit as well as uh, things that are more applied. Yeah, I think with that caveat, it should be noted that our experiences or how we perceive and to some degree project-based learning, you know, and, and it, and our, I think our criticisms are not criticisms necessarily the idea in and of itself, but how it will ultimately unfold unless there are some very kind of strict guidelines about how you set it up and what it is that you're trying to achieve. And so I too want to kind of put the caveat there that what we're, we're not talking about a damning of an entire you know, a way in which you teach, but rather one, how we experienced it, and two, the potential pitfalls that will befall a school or an organization who tries to apply this in kind of a universal sense. I think with, with a lot of things, that there are certain students who have a strength towards something like this, who have a seriousness that would get the most out of it. And I think others, I don't know, I, I think others have a different mindset and what they want from their education and a, a project may not necessarily be it. Well, you're an AP teacher, advanced mm. placement, you know, which is a real serious exam at the end of the year um, that will give a student college credit if they, if they pass. So there, there's, right. um, so there's money involved for the mm. parents, actually, you, know, you want to get a four or five, some mm. colleges take a three, but that really matters. Um, so you're starting out the school year and, and you have a, a calendar and you want to get to that test in May right. and, and have as many students as possible pass it, get fours and fives. Would your first choice, you know, as a history teacher be, okay, uh, I want to do as many projects as possible during this year. You know, we, we need to do another project because we, we have some, some things to cover. Let's do a project. Yeah, the problem is, is that, you know, the AP curriculum is built for speed. Right. You know, and so, you know, that, you know, any AP teacher out there will tell you that already from the onset, we feel like we don't have enough time to do what we have to do and projects slow things down, not because projects are somehow deficient, but for projects to be worth anything, they have to be longer in duration than just a day or a couple of days or even a week. I think, I, I don't, I don't know if there is a good project less than a week time because then the emphasis is more on the show as you kind of referred to it earlier than it is on the no and i think i think that's the issue and if i was in a different kind of class if i had a little bit more of a luxurious pacing i could follow then maybe you could consider something and you can and you what you do is you assess your kids find out where the strengths are and then you try to fit a project that kind of matches that you know your music kids were inherently interested in wanting to be musicians. They were inherently wanting to emote in a musical fashion, you know? Um, and so because of that, there was already a built-in level of buy-in by your students into the idea of the project that you put before them. And that's what we're, that's what we're saying. It has to be something that's specific to the group, that's specific to the class. And if any one of those things are out of line, it's not going to work. I don't, at least it didn't work for me. Maybe, you know, maybe a better teacher could make something out of it, but I think there's some inherent flaws to it. Well, it is, it is put forth as a methodology, a complete methodology. You know, the idea of being uh, interdisciplinary is really important for, for project-based, but it is a complete method. It's, 
and, and that's in all the literature about it. It's not something you tack on at the end. Um, and, and, and I think in some cases, you know, maybe in the case of our courses, it should be something that's tacked on at the end. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you use it for, for what it is. Um, it, but considering it across all subjects, uh, the level of integration from teacher to teacher um, to make all curriculum, because we, we, we saw some examples of, um, I guess, science academies, you know, where, mm. where students would, you know, I think that we had like a wing of, in Boeing of a jet there building. Right, inside uh, of Seattle and, or something like that. So. Yeah, that's right. And, and some internships. and But to turn that into academics across all disciplines, you know, I don't know if it's possible. Um, and I'm not, you'd have to do a lot of flips to, to make that happen. And I don't think anybody um, is, is that motivated to, to put the pieces together. And I think, I think the first red flag comes up when you say complete or total or all are yeah. all encompassing. Right. There's your first red flag, because whether you're talking about history or mathematics or science or literature, you're talking about not just different disciplines, but different ways of thinking different ways of producing what it is that you know. And so it is It is by nature a problematic square peg to fit into a round hole. You know, sometimes it'll work, like you said, in a history, in a scientific setting or if a mathematical setting, perhaps. But outside of that, you, you start running into trouble. Well, the acronym for project-based learning is PBL. Yes. Um, the there, there's another method that's also called PBL, and it's problem-based learning. And to me, that's a little bit more exciting because it doesn't um, imply that you create a, that the students create an artifact, something mm. physically that they build or or some presentation. Um, the a problem-based learning could be uh, could result in a research paper. Right. Uh, it it may not need a group of students. Um, but it could be individual. They wouldn't need to be dressed up and standing next to a PowerPoint. Right. So I think they, maybe they got the P wrong <laughs> in, in, the, in, the, in the PBL. The, the, the problem seems uh, much more interesting um, academically than, than the idea of producing something. Because can you not say that all great advancements started with the identification of a problem? And you look through the whole course of history, you look at the desire to understand history, and it starts with a problem. How do we fix this problem? All learning, all exploration of knowledge, all contemplation of knowledge starts with the recognition that a problem exists. You know, as far as like how we interact with something, how we see something, how we understand something, there's a problem that needs to be addressed. And perhaps, as you say, that might be a more interesting, exciting, thought-provoking way of enhancing or the way of doing education. Um, the other interesting thing about that is that for a student or a group of students to appreciate the nature uh, and the importance of a problem, they need a lot of background, mm-hmm. um, which means they, they need to read, they, right. they need teaching, they need discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem comes later you can't just start out and say this is the problem you're going to address because they have nothing to attach it to right um but in in a way problem-based learning 
uh, aligns better with classical methodology. It, it aligns more with what we think should happen in the classroom, which is a lot of reading, a lot of discussion, mm-hmm. um, and not a lot of time. I'm not going to say wasted. I almost did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, creating things that um, maybe aren't the best use of, of time. And, and let's face it, students learn to use technology with or without us. Right. You know, it's not like they need to learn how to do, you know, make, make videos. Right. You know, or, they're or, doing it already. Yeah. Oh, let's yeah. do PowerPoint. I mean, we, we were doing this when PowerPoint was relatively new. Right. So everybody had spinning text on each, almost each letter and <laughs> stop already, you know, and then they had Prezi. Remember that? Yeah. Where, where things come flying in. I would actually get a headache. I would start looking at the ceiling because if I looked at it, uh, I, I couldn't do it. But it, it's, in like a way, Sant- it's like Santana in his later years where he just started putting <laughs> flurs of guitar strokes, you know, in, in every pause and silence. You know, it was just, it was gilded in the lily at some point, you know, it's just, you can't do it. So, yeah, we can't have that. So, um, it, it's really taken us down a dark road if we, if we think <laughs> about it. We're, we're trying to create order. Uh, uh, out of this chaos, you know, right. and uh, that, that's that's so it, it the method touched a nerve with us. Yes, and uh, I wish our, you know the the faculty meetings that we attended were really good conversations, um, but we we had a little bit of pushback. Um, a little, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> because there were true believers on you know in there, yes. but also the the thing is you know there were teachers who had subjects that aligned really well with the, with mm. the methodology and there are others that didn't. And so we kind of picked sides based upon, you know, our, our own needs as, as teachers. Mm. Well, just one, just an idea, just about uh, one aspect of something that is out there that people are professing. Uh, again, our criticisms are not of the system in and of itself, but how it could potentially unfold depending upon the circumstances in which it is applied. But uh, just yet another thing that's down the pike and and maybe what is old is new again and here we go again as far as like how we do things but um and we'll be doing these kind of classes here kind of podcasts you know as we go through kind of highlighting some of these other ideas um but it's kind of fun to kind of revisit this notion project-based learning yeah i think it's fun i think we're a little out of date i think it's it, you know, it's already had its hearing yes you know um maybe um, it's less in fashion than it was so we're you know beating a dead horse but we do that we've been known to that's true <laughs> so anyway well the hair dr bourgeois um i trust that you will have a great week i trust our listeners will have a great week and perhaps we say good night hair dr bourgeois yes indeed good night hair miller <laughs>